Welcome, friends. You are listening to Conversations with Consequences. This is the weekly radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, where you get witty and charming conversation about the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers of our time. If you're listening on the radio, you're listening at 11 a.m. on Friday on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And if not, you're listening for free to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe at the Catholic Association org slash podcasts, and don't forget to recommend us to your friends. So I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I'm joined um, in studio, although we're in separate studios, by my good friend, Andrea picciotti Bayer, the Legal Eagle of the Catholic Association. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning, Gracie. I hope you feel envious because I'm here with the other people. Yes, yes, you all look like you're having a lot of fun. It's a lonely in my closet. <laughs> Stay <laughs> in the closet. Um, and also, we have uh, our, our colleague and dear friend, Maureen Ferguson. Good morning, Maureen. Good morning. Good to be on with you, ladies. She's also a shining light of the Catholic Association. So today, they're kind enough to join me for the second installment of our Church on the Ground series, what we're calling Church on the Ground, Going Forward in Joy. It's a series of episodes that we are doing to concentrate in these times of, of uh, difficulty in the church, all times in the church are difficult, but our times right now feel very, um, feel very bad in, uh, in many ways for, for many of us. And uh, we're trying to concentrate, we are concentrating on wonderful initiatives uh, going on in different parishes. My parish, for instance, is bursting with life, bursting with good things. Uh, and this is happening all over the country. So we are going forward in joy. And um, last episode was Father Paul. We had Father Pollard, uh, who talked to us about the way his parish has found a lot of life uh, and faith and vibrancy in the Latin Mass. And today we have another um, pastor of another parish who's joining us. This time, Father Bill Byrne. He's the pastor of Our Lady of Mercy in Potomac. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a delight. I'm just sad we're not in Miami right now. No, you don't want to be in <laughs> Miami can't. right now. <laughs> There's a hurricane. There's a hurricane coming. Otherwise, I would say yes. You okay. would. You're very unfortunate not to be in Miami. But never right invite now, a priest if you don't expect yes to be the answer. Just one piece <laughs> of advice. All right. We actually happen to have a room that's perfect, perfectly disposed for a priest, Father. So after this, I'll, I'll send you all the information. And perfect. this is your Good. this is your home in Miami from now on. Excellent. So, Maureen, is Father? Okay, I should have known this before, but is Father Byrne your pastor? Father Bill is my pastor at Our Lady of Mercy in Potomac, Maryland, and we are so blessed to have him. And uh, I know we're going to start uh, getting delving into Bishop Barron's uh, excellent new book called Letter to a Suffering Church. But before we do that, we just want to hear a little bit about Father Bill and um we would love to hear about your path to the priesthood. I know this year is the 25th anniversary of your ordination. Yay. That's awesome. And your priesthood has just been a gift to so, so many people. Um, but I always love hearing a good vocation story. So tell us about your path to the priesthood. My delight. I was, I'm the youngest of eight children, right from D.C. area. So I grew up in McLean, Virginia. I was born in Washington. And we were, uh, I had faithful Catholic parents. They were daily communicants. Interestingly enough, my two best friends growing up, both of their dads were, uh, were daily communicants. Huh. 
So I grew up thinking, well, that's, that's what dads normal. do. That's, that's kind of what oh, normal wow. people do. That's what dads do. power up example. Wow, <laughs> So baby beautiful. of eight, baby of eight. Um, and then another thing that we that happened, my father was a doctor, so he had a whole different call schedule, as Gracie would know. He was a <laughs> surgeon. And so we never had to go to mass together. Mm-hmm. We just went to mass once you could ride a bike. Oh, and, beautiful. And so it was one of those things we never had. There was never the stress of like having to all line up and uh, be in the right clothes or anything. As long like as the you Von get Trapps. Your, when and you were, exactly. And when get you were, there on time. Uh, well, that's what we were always on time. Very nice for your mother, no I doubt. have to say. And so one of the things, if you went to mass with my dad when he was uh, on Sunday mornings, if my mom was like doing some kind of Eucharistic minister or something like that, he would take you out to breakfast. And nice. uh, we would all go out to IHOP afterwards, anyone who went to mass with him. And then we would end up, he would take us on rounds with him in the hospital. Mm. He was a surgeon. So before luckily HIPAA. this is all before HIPAA, yeah. HIPAA regulations. <laughs> and so he would, uh, we'd go walking down the hall and there'd be like five kids in tow. And he would point out stuff. And that's, so three of my siblings are all doctors. So, Great. and I was the one who looked at it and said, oh my, that's disgusting. I don't want to do that. <laughs> So I, I grew up in a family. My oldest, my uncle was a um, uh, was a priest, or is a priest in heaven with uh, of the Archdiocese of New York. So it was all part of a normative thing. So the Lord had it in my heart. I was thinking about it when I was a student at uh, the College of the Holy Cross, and I was thinking about being a Jesuit. And I I went to their come and see retreat as a junior uh, to go and check it out. And I arrived at eight in the morning. I mean, eight at night. And I was driving down the road at nine o'clock the next morning. Oh wow! I was like, I don't think this is right. And uh, <laughs> right so, interesting. So I went to. I just didn't. Something didn't fit right. No one said anything or anything. I just didn't have the right mm-hmm. mojo feel. And uh, so, but in my senior year, I was thinking about diocesan priesthood. And my, I told my parents, and my mom, being the wise mother of eight, said, "I would love to have a son who's a priest. I would hate to have one who was a priest." Huh. And she was right. Oh. I was too immature. I started college at 17. I was just too immature. You're a kid. Wise mother. And so I got a job teaching school at a little Catholic boys' school that I had gone to. And in that time, hmm. I really, the it started to take hold. And then I went to the North American College. And then I came back and have been signed in parishes and have been more in love today with my experience of the priesthood of Jesus Christ than I was. 25 years ago, and that's saying something. You know, Father, this is Andrea. Um, I, when I was just starting my family, I've got 10 kids, and when, when there were just a couple kids, we went to a confirmation in Northern Virginia, and Bishop, the bishop at the time, Bishop Laverde, said to all the parents sitting there, pay attention. Out of each of your families should come vocations. And it wasn't a numbers game, but it was really, like you said, the Lord is calling, and, and it's a lot easier when... You're growing up in a, a faith-filled house, and it mm-hmm. seems like that—that that it, it was just one of those kind of, of course. And I think when there's religious or priests in the family, it makes it, or the family's engaged in the parish life, it just makes it more of a normative thing. It's not seen as such a colossal jump mm-hmm. when uh, when it's this part of the part and parcel of. Uh, so when priests come to the house, they're just like family. And the, mm-hmm. so your sons will be experiencing that or your daughters will be thinking of religious life. My sister is a, is a religious also. So That's awesome. She's a nun. 
we need to take a minute to hear about your sister. Mm -hmm. Just give us the skinny <laughs> on your sister because she's a pretty remarkable one. Sister Dee Dee, whom President Trump just mentioned in his 4th of July speech, uh, she was a surgeon in the army and then became a nun. And I think she thought she was outsmarting them by by staying in as a reservist and collecting extra money to help with the <laughs> sisters in the convent. Every, all she had every to, dollar counts. All she had to do was go to Walter Reed and read, uh, in her habit, and read uh, uh, journals. And then she got called up and was sent to Afghanistan. No. Two mothers were pretty mad about wow. that. Mother Byrne, <laughs> my mom, and Mother General. Yeah. So wow. as soon as she was done, Mother General said, you're, You're done. Out. <laughs> You're done. But she went as a full bird colonel to Afghanistan. So she runs a clinic here in the city for in Washington D.C. for the poor, and um, That's beautiful. she's an amazing, joy-filled person. She is amazing, and I've also speaking of amazing, I've met your mother, who is still going strong at ninety-three. Is she ninety-six? 90? And a <laughs> half. Ninety-six Six and a half. That is amazing. We so. see her. She. Uh, hits our parish for daily Mass sometimes, and Sunday Mass sometimes. Um, so speaking of our parish, um, you are the pastor of Our Lady of Mercy Church, uh, which I feel so blessed to be a part of. Um, my sister, who's from New York, she was visiting recently and came to Mass with us, and she could not get over the vibrancy of our parish. She couldn't get over that. The pews were filled to overflowing, and everybody was dressed up and singing, and we had mm. beautiful music, and kids ran off to youth group after afterwards. And um, I mean, if you look at our parish bulletin, there's one ministry after another. There's, you know, the hospitality of coffee and donuts after mass. There's the health clinic where the doctors in the parish are donating their services, the men of mercy, the walking with purpose for women, mercy university, faith formation, um, confession before Sunday masses, adoration between our two daily morning masses mm -hmm. between the 7 every day a.m. every day <laughs> between the 7 and 8.30 masses. And then our little chapel where people can stop in whenever they want to. Yes. And that's the key, I think, to vitality as a Eucharistic-centered parish. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. If you, it's not programs, it's Jesus. Yeah. So you can come up with as many programs as you want, you know, show as many videos in people's living room, and that's not going to do it. It always has to initiate with the Lord. Christ-centered. And uh, we do a program called Mercy You, where we have Dominican friars who are teaching uh, at the House of Studies come up and do mini courses on the Gospel of John, taking people to a, another level of theological reflection. But that idea, which is, came to, in my heart in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, nice. that's, that's the key to, wow. I think, everything in the church is putting Jesus in the Eucharist at the center. Wow. And I know you do a daily uh, holy hour. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the minimum. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like air and water. Yeah. Uh, a holy hour is not an, it's not a round of golf. Hmm. You know, it's not like oh it's good I refreshed myself with a little time on the tennis court or mm -hmm. rod on the it's it is the essential to the life I think of every Christian but especially the life of the priest. Mm -hmm. In our own church, we started, uh, not me, unfortunately, I wasn't in the starters, but we started a 24-hour, uh, seven-day-a-week adoration, um, I think it was 15 years ago, and the parish is just booming with with love and interest and faith uh, at all levels. And like you said, a million ministries, and 
And really, I, all of us attribute that kind of resurgence and interest in to the fact that we have that presence of the, the sacrament always available. And people, the chapel's always filled. I've gone at three in the morning and found 10 people in prayer mm -hmm. uh, on a regular basis. Wow. You know, another thing one notices in our parish bulletin is you always have these pithy little notes to the congregation. It's always five things, five ways to improve your mm -hmm. prayer life. Or, um, And then I know you um, uh, make little YouTube videos yeah, the out of that. Yeah, the Archdiocese, the Archdiocese of Washington does. So. And those are so fantastic to kind of fire off to your college kids or your extended family member who asks you questions at the Thanksgiving table about why does the church teach this? Or um, So how could our listeners access those YouTube videos? Because they're really excellent and they're short and pithy. If you just do a YouTube search when you're there and put FR, Father Bill Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E, they'll come up right away, five things. And there's a whole series of them and we retaped them through the Archdiocese and Communications Office. And they're fun. And they're only about two and a half, three minutes long tops. So they're very digestible and sendable out to uh, to your grandkids or your kids or whoever. Father, I'd imagine that in addition to the Ferguson family, a lot of the parishioners that go to your parish are people of influence, uh, influence and decision makers in, in the federal government or in Maryland state government or, or the local county and also, you know, influential professionals. Have you noticed the presence of the Blessed Sacrament helping keep people humble? I think, well, before I'm going to um, Our Lady of Mercy, I was on Capitol Hill at St. Peter's on Capitol yeah. Hill, where we had daily adoration also. And that's where I first actually met Maureen's husband, Mike, when he was uh, on the Hill. And the idea, and I did dinners for Catholic congressmen, uh, each month, and that still continues on. But the the centeredness in the Eucharist and the prayer is is the only answer to the chaos that mm -hmm. we're experiencing right now. Uh, and I think, uh, and I just think, if I could, if we could harness, I just I'm guilty of it myself. Every time I look at the my phone, is a wasted minute from a time of prayer. So and I true. think if I could if I could gather up that all those minutes. 45 <laughs> minutes and we all could do that, the world would be war free and hmm. we would be <laughs> uh, we would all be everyone would be kind to each other if we could harness that time. So just looking at the the minutia of my day, are there moments that are stolen from me that I need to steal back hmm. for Jesus? Uh, because I think we're all so distracted and it's so easily distracted. Uh, that we're getting into sort of figurative car crashes in mm -hmm. our in our spiritual life. Well, it's That's a lot so like true. Cardinal Sarah, right? The the noise right. of the society around us um, mm -hmm. keeps us from listening to his voice, the capital H. I just got back from a week of silent retreat in Big Sur. It was awesome. an hour and a half away <laughs> from the nearest cell tower, no internet. Huh. Wow. And we were in this, I was in by myself in this pristine beauty at a monastery there, but... Uh, that and the whole idea was just it was like diving into a pool of silence mm. and floating in it and not being afraid of it. Uh, it was it's fabulous. Sounds heavenly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why well, I, I gotta go? I think it'd be scary at first, right? For we're so used to constant stimuli. Right. It was that if you're not if you haven't me, trained was, yourself. I mean, you've been training yourself for twenty five plus. I think for me as an extrovert, 
it was a relief at the beginning. And then I got a little antsy at the end. Mm. So I was mm-hmm. like looking and saying, oh, is it time to pack my car yet? Were you no. just going to put all of, <laughs> all of those intentions into right. practice? Right. And so that became a mortification <laughs> right there. Mm. Now, Father Bill, you are one of the most joyful people that I know. And it's one reason you're so effective as a pastor. It's so attractive, the joy. And um, and I know you call yourself a chronic optimist, I've heard you say. Mm-hmm. Um, like and you, you talk about finding happiness in the here and now. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I say... Uh uh, chronically hopeful is what I is how I ah, describe myself. Okay. Chronically hopeful because it's the the virtue that was given to me in my baptism, and mm-hmm. and oh. it's about being in the present with confidence in the future, not staring over the next mountain or looking in the rearview mirror. It's about knowing that this is why I'm here, is for this moment. Past is history, future is mystery. Uh, it was I, oh, the beheading of John the Baptist was uh, yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yes. And the Magnificat quoted Cardinal Francis Xavier Benthuan, uh, being in the prison. I'm not sure if you read that, mm-hmm. but I did. And where he says, and it's a line that I've thought about often and often. He says to the Lord, "I will not wait, but I will find in each moment brimming. I'll find each moment brimming with love." But the idea we spend so much of our time with a future orientation Hmm. that it pulls us back. So people are saying, well, when I finally get that job or my kid gets into college, then I can relax. When I am, you know, retired or when I'm at this parish, and that is all taking you away from where the Lord. It's sort of like being at a cocktail party with Jesus and he's standing right in front of you (laughs) and you're looking over his shoulder to see (laughs) who else is in the room. And so that's the... So I think that's part of the discovery of hope is future orientation in confidence and faith, but it's living in the present. Mm -hmm. Father, I was listening to a a meditation earlier this morning, and it was talking about um, the church as being the house of the plenitude of faith, hope, and charity. And and you, I think, if if you found your place anywhere in the world, you'd be beautiful. And you found your place in the church, and and we're all trying to keep ourselves in in her arms. Um, can you explain a little bit about why you think the church is where people need to be to find that fulfillment, to find that interior peace, to find that path to heaven? Right. The Lord said to Peter, "You are rock, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." Do you all give the keys of the kingdom of heaven and earth? Whose sins you forgive are forgiven, and whose sins you held bound. That rock, it's that center force that, that, that is the, the sacrament of God's love present in the world. We know that we are there when, through our baptism, through our participation in the sacraments. It's nice to go out and exploring, but it's always nice to come back home, as we all know. And, and church is where our home this is where who we are. It's not just, and it's and it's Christ's mystical body. So it's the plenitude of finding Christ in His church. But that said, it's been a tough year. Mm. It's mm-hmm. been a hard year to be a Catholic, and um, and so, but the but the Christ has never forsaken and will never forsake His church. 
And we're looking forward to um, getting into a discussion about Bishop Barron's book and the letter to a suffering church to discuss the the past year. Um, but before we do that, you mentioned sort of the sacramental life of the church. Um, can you tell us a little bit? I mean, you're you're there at the beginning of life. You're there at the end of life. Mm-hmm. You're there at the weddings, funerals, baptisms. Um, tell us a little bit about that. It really is. The life of a priest is is magnificent and because you walk with people at each point of the journey so you're there at the joy of a baptism and you're feeding people daily with the eucharist you know the eucharist uh, people i was explaining to a bride who's not catholic and she was trying to get it and i said having uh if the eucharist is a symbol that's like going out on a date with a mannequin and it's just like it, it has to be there why would Christ feed us with the pretend? And, and so that, that power of then helping people let go of burdens that they have been carrying around and are, are shackled by. But then there's the, the power of being uh, there with people in grief and burying the dead. I, I always say to young priests, don't be afraid of those moments. Those people, are, you're not intruding into their sadness what you're doing is they have been plummeted in their grief into the very darkest forest. And you show up into that darkness with a light, a torch, the light of Christ. And so it's not a scary time, it's a, it's a life-giving time. And so you take their hand and you say, follow me. It's not going to be easy, but the light of Christ is going to take us out of this darkness. It's interesting that even even now that people uh, are abandoning the church or are feeling far away from the church in general, that in those moments of a terrible sadness or moments of joy, that they turn automatically to the church, to to pastors like you, Father, and and want that accompaniment, the accompaniment of that Pope Francis talks to us about, right? That the, that the church has to be. Uh, that the church is supposed to be walking with each person and where the person finds themselves. Exactly, and and I think there's a there's a hesitancy. You know, if you're listening to this and and you know someone who's in mourning loss right now, and it it crosses your mind to text them a hello mm-hmm. or to call them, that's the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Do it, do it. Send yeah, a little, don't delay. Don't delay. <laughs> Send a little emoji. They don't have to respond. Just do it because. Yeah. The only thing that is sadder is a, is mourning alone, uh, and and so the Holy Spirit is continually working in that experience. And the accompaniment, the Holy Father is exactly right. That's the key to, uh, I think, our evangelization right now. We are in a wounded world. We have wounded uh, people, and and we have the salve the salve that's going to heal those wounds. It's, it's interesting um, that our Pope is named Francis, and, and I oftentimes pray the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And, and I, it struck me once, it's your peace, it's God's peace, and, and that peace is something that everyone is yearning for, and each one of us can be an instrument. And if we're open to the grace, um, that, that, and through the sacraments and through... Um, all the grace that the church can give us, we can be that connector, that kind of conduit, that channel, that uh, to give people peace, interior peace, and then you know the everything probably falls into place. I'm sure you've seen that when people are 
um, in turmoil internally. Everything's a disaster. It is, and I think the key to the whole thing is what you just said, where you said you are a channel. You're an instrument of God's peace. And so uh, that means that you have to first have God's peace. Mm -hmm. You have to be seeking it. You have to be living in it, dwelling in it, marveling in mm -hmm. God's talking to us all the time, the God wings. The, the Spirit is constantly working in us if we open our hearts to that. And so it is that that to bring it, you, you are the channel. It's not your peace, it's his peace. Mm -hmm. And I have two young adult children. My two oldest children, I should say, are both engaged to be married. And I, I hope in your church, and I hope that the churches that my children are attending on Sundays have strong programs for them as, as to start their new lives, right? As they go forward. Oh, the music, that reminds, that reminds us that we are going to break. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Consequences. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. I'm your host, Dr. Gracie Christie, joined in studio today by my colleagues, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer and Maureen Ferguson. This is Conversations with Consequences, the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association. Today we are joined by the very kind Father Bill Byrne, who is telling us about life in his parish. This is the second episode of our Church on the Ground series, Going Forward in Joy. And Father Byrne's uh, parish, Our Lady of Mercy in Potomac, is a very vibrant one that's uh, going forward in, in joy. And one of the things we wanted to talk to Father Bill about was uh, Bishop Robert Barron's very important uh, booklet, I guess you'd call it, it's a very short book, called Letter to a Suffering Church, where he speaks about the uh, sexual abuse crisis that's roiling the church now for so many years. He's, uh, in, in the book, Bishop Barron's very forthright about it. Uh, he doesn't pull any punches. He's, he doesn't try to uh, minimize the great suffering of, of so many people, whether directly affected or just trying to uh, understand how these things could happen. He makes the very important, uh, uh, he gives us the statistic, 37% of Catholics are considering leaving the church due mm. to the sexual abuse crisis. I found that very shocking, uh, not surprising. I've, I've, I've heard it myself anecdotally from people. Uh, but Bishop Bill, uh, I'm sorry, pre <laughs> Father Bill, <laughs> we've, we've, we've elevated you. you. You were so agreeable in the first <laughs> segment. So sorry. <laughs> Father Bill has a plan, and it includes Bishop uh, Barron's book. And maybe you can tell us about it, Father. So I think the this is a, a part and parcel of the larger um, way that we as a parish have been addressing is, I think radio silence throughout this whole process is a disaster. Mm -hmm. So if you're not saying it, it just sounds like you're or talking about it, if you're not addressing it in some way, then it just sounds like you're either digging your, burying your head in the sand or you're colluding. And, and, and Father Bill, you have taken it head on and in so, our yeah. parish. <laughs> you have addressed it repeatedly. So I have, It's been excellent. So I did just that. I had listening sessions and we preached about it. And the listening sessions were brutal. Hmm. We had one, um, it was an evening one, so I think... People might have gone home and had a glass of vino or something, and they were a little more uh, <laughs> animated. animated in the, but people that you see all the, every day screaming at, 
at me. And at first, it was a very jarring and painful experience. Uh, but I realized that it was a privileged place to be, that they needed to talk so, to someone, and I was it. And so I, if the Lord asked me to stand there and receive that, that, that sadness, that woundedness, then that's a privileged place to be. And, uh, but I realized also, hey, I didn't, I haven't molested anybody, and I didn't move anybody around. I haven't covered anything up. Mm -hmm. I'm the Delta Gate agent when the flight's canceled, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, <laughs> exactly. I, I didn't have anything to do with it, but here I am. anger. Yeah. So that's what I, uh, right. I just had to know that, and the Lord confronted me, but uh, confirmed me in that. One of the things also that the Lord said was, I have this. And it, I have come to realize, and I believe firmly, that this past year is painful, but it's not the pain of death. It's the pain of childbirth. It's the pain of new life, the pain of purification, the pain of renewal. And that's why Bishop Barron's book is so timely now, because it's given people time to sort of sit with their sadness for a while, and then now it's a concrete resolution. So we're going to roll it out. Most of my parish goes away for parts of the summer, so our attendance is is down. Interestingly, though, over the year, our income is down. People are, my parish is a place where there are some wealthy people, and that's their one way of voicing their discontent. Sadly for me, they're voicing it at their own parish. Um, but You know, Father, it's interesting that you equate what we're going through to the pains of childbirth. Yesterday, Gracie and I were chatting about that, and um, and Gracie would say she she always encourages women to have um, anesthesia, and I was like, Gosh, no, I, no, to not have to anesthesia. not oh to to enjoy yes that's right to in, to be fully all in, and um and I remember uh, a obstetrician in town, Doctor uh, John Bruchowski, who was on with us um, last week. He told me once, you know, the pains of childbirth are a consequence of original sin. <laughs> yes. And so, like, go ahead and get whatever is going to alleviate that. I never remembered that in time, but it, it, it <laughs> <laughs> terrible. But it, it reminds us, and Bishop Barron's book is very good at showing us that um, we're fallen. Right. And the church has had members, even from the beginning, Judas, right? And, and all throughout scripture, even before Christ came, showing the fallen nature of man. And it's not too diminish the injury that's happened recently, but it's to put things into perspective. Is that? And I think exactly it. It's, it's, it's to recognize also that the church has endured the sinfulness of, of her people, of her ministers, of her bishops. She's endured that and emerged through the ages producing saints uh, for heaven. And that's, mm -hmm. that's where we have to keep our eye. The Bishop Barron's book, is not just uh, an historical and scriptural overview. It's essentially a call to action. Mm -hmm. And um, so I do a, at a local retreat house, I, they have a lot of marriage preps, and I give the final talk to the young couples there. And I say, this, we could leave or we could stay and fight. Mm -hmm. And you can't let people that have made bad decisions or made sinful actions push you away from your home, stand at your front door mm -hmm. and fight them off. Uh, and, and then what I do is I say, and if it was 60 young people in the room, I say, if you're struggling for this, here's my cell phone number. 
Hmm. And so I had a woman, uh, a couple call me up, and I'm actually end up doing their wedding. Hmm. And I confirmed her last week. Oh, beautiful. In preparation. So Grace works through yeah. this. As part of our 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 preparation, it's it's we our sixtieth anniversary is coming up. And the sixtieth anniversary of the parish is a time for celebration. But if we didn't Bishop's Barron book is our time of reflection before we move on to celebration mm-hmm. and to see what it is where we've been and then to step forward from that. And the uh, the theme of our anniversary is to take one step forward. If each of us just took one step, think of every single listener here taking one step. Whether you're a daily communicant or you just your grandma made you listen to this, you just took <laughs> one step closer. Mm-hmm. The how much the things would change, and to add some um, maybe sort of motivation or investment on my part, the books which are very cheap to purchase. Um, are, I'm paying for them out of my own money hmm. as my hmm. gift for my 25th anniversary to it's each beautiful. and every family in the parish. It is so beautiful. So I want them to know that this is from me, mm-hmm. not just another check that we cut out of the parish. From your heart. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to have to read it now. Yeah, everyone's going to have to read it. Exactly. <laughs> no, and, 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 and it's know, a delight, right? It, and it is. And, you know, I gave this book to my older children. I told them to read it. And I said, but if you're going to read the first couple chapters, you have to finish it. Yeah, get to the You have to get to the end. You have to get to the, the beautiful mm-hmm. and challenging compelling, inspiring conclusion of the call book. Call to action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Call to action, yeah. It's because in the beginning, Bishop Barron places this, um, what's going on right now, he places it into its historical context, and he goes back many thousands of years to the Old Testament and the way that uh, God revealed his intention about about sex, right, and the and how how sex is supposed to be placed in this, in this holy uh, space of marriage. Right and and all the co- and all the difficulties that human beings have experienced with this concept as as they wrestle with it, and then also the putting it into the history of the, of the church itself and and it's rather the fir- there's a couple chapters there which shocked me. Right, he very frankly discusses the dreadful parts of church history. He really lays out the diabolical nature of this scandal, that mm-hmm. if you were trying to come up with a scandal to yeah, kind of tank the church, well, this is, you know, you couldn't think up anything. A, a human mind could hardly think up right. such a strategy. Okay. But I, I always say one of the reasons I'm a Catholic is not just because of John Paul II and, you know, these saintly popes that we've had. Uh, it's people like Al- Alexander VI. Uh, who was a, a scoundrel and a, <laughs> a dirty, rotten one. Yeah. The, and a Borgia Pope. The Borgia and, Pope's and Medici think, Okay, Pope's, the church yeah. never fell into error, mm-hmm. never fell into mm-hmm. doctrinal error, always sailed through the darkest storm. And I think that's what Bishop Barron's book is, is telling us, sailing through the storm. We're going, to, uh, we're going to emerge stronger, more beautiful, more alive in the resurrection and and that's how we know that the church is not just another institution, right? He, Bishop Barron gives us this wonderful quote, which I knew from Hilaire Belloc, but it's one of my favorites. The Catholic Church is an institution I am bound to hold divine, but for unbelievers, a proof of its divinity might be found in the fact that no merely human institution conducted with such knavish imbecility <laughs> would have lasted a fortnight. <laughs> what's 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 great in in reading the book is is the call to action, right? Mm-hmm. And the call to action is not only to grow in our own holiness and to build up our own um, 
strength as a church, but to continue to proclaim the gospel and to be kind of with an audacious confidence to convert more people, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. world needs the church. Right. And I, I'm sure you have stories of, of recent converts, the, the young woman that you just confirmed. Um, right. We, brought, we baptized a guy last year who, um, and he, it was exactly what he, he said. I came to know Christ, and then I realized Christ was calling me to stand up for his church. Mm-hmm. And that's and he came into the, we baptized him at the Easter Vigil of Mercy. And we had many people come in to the church. Mm-hmm. And I know you were saying earlier that the donations are down. Right. And attendance is lighter during the summer because so many people are out of town. But overall, I've heard you say our attendance is up, and it sure feels that way. Our, our attendance is up. And and it's not our – look at the – when the the outer area is filled with kids. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And all around my dog, Zelly, uh, at the end of Mass. She doesn't come into church, listeners. Yes. She stays out as a she very good. Yeah. Oh, she's the hound of heaven. Although I, I lived in South America and random dogs come in, right. in and out. She's, she's, no, she's the, she's the greeter, the official uh, evangelization greeter, but she's not an acolyte. <laughs> yeah, she's no, quite a mascot at the parish. Bishop Barron, he he says, so, of course, the beginning of the book is all about putting this into context, the diabolical nature of it, and then the historical context and the divinity of the church. But then he talks about a couple things that we need to do going forward, right? Because it is a call to action. And one of them is the renewal of the priesthood. And what, how do you see, what do you think about that, Father Bill? What, what does the renewal of the priesthood entail? Well, I think the renewal of the priesthood has been going on since, uh, for a while, especially since Pastoris Dabovobus, the synodal, post-synodal document under John Paul, uh, St. John Paul II, where we, where we looked at human formation and mm-hmm. psychosexual formation, took this all seriously. In the past, what it was was, did you get good grades? Uh, mm-hmm. Not what kind of man are you or are you becoming? So our, our formation to the priesthood and our young priests are uh, is very strong. I, I was chaplain at the University of Maryland, and we're blessed to have in the Archdiocese of Washington about I think it's nine priests who are from my time there, all mm. young priests. That's wonderful. So, young, amazing um, priests, all like little brothers, and they come over for dinner all the time. And you would have any one of them as a son-in-law. Mm-hmm. In Absolutely. A second. They're smart. They're funny. They're nice. They're normal. They're good men. And I think that mm. that the renewal of the priesthood is is is, is in our midst. You know, there's uh, another component that Bishop Barron uh, writes in his book, and that's the role of the lay people. And and I d- always get nervous when people talk about the laity because I'm super clerical. I love the priests. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> I really do. But hey, I know Bishop. you know that that the church involves the people in the pews. As well, and that we we have a, a very important role um, to speak and to pray and to support and encourage. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about what you think the proper role of the laity is in confronting the crisis have, and in moving forward in joy. Well, I think just I mean I'm not the Pope, so I can't say, but I can say it. Our Lady of Mercy. I, I always say to young pa- brand new pastors. So I've been a pastor for a while. I mentor a lot of young guys who are pastors, and I say, being a pastor is 85 to 90% listening. Listening to what your people are saying in confession. Listening to what they say. Creating mechanisms so that they can speak to you. 
creating an approachable experience so that they were um, that they could hear us, and that's part of it is creating mechanisms so that people, that the priests can hear the Holy Spirit through the people. Oh no, that means we have to say goodbye, Father Father Vern. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to have you on. It was, it was my wonderful. delight. Say goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> I'll say until after the break. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Consequences. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. This week, as is customary, Father Roger Landry gives us a short but brilliant homily on the coming Sunday's Gospel. Please stay tuned for Father Landry, and do look up his daily homily written in audio on his website, catholicpreaching.com. This is Father Roger Landry, and I'm happy once more to have a chance to enter with you into the consequential conversation Jesus wants to have with us this Sunday. Get ready. Jesus is going to say to us some very challenging words. It will be tempting for us to try to smooth them over as if he really doesn't mean them literally, but he does mean them. He says, if anyone comes to me without hating father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He gave us these challenging words precisely because he knew we needed them in order truly to be his disciples, to live in communion with him in this world, come to fulfillment of life with him in the next. He uses two images that set out why he speaks to us so forthrightly. First is of building a tower that we have to have the supplies to finish the job. The second is going into battle that we have to have the amount of troops necessary to defeat the enemy. I think a stronger image would be a plane pilots setting out for Europe without enough gas to cross the Atlantic. Unless we're prepared, we won't make the journey of the Christian life. Unless we have the supplies, we'll end up dead. Jesus is calling us to reflect on what it means, what it's going to take to achieve the end of our discipleship. He tells us that if our goal is truly to be his disciple, we've got to face three things we're tempted to overlook. First thing, he says, whoever comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. In other words, Jesus must be our greatest love. We must love him more than we love ourselves and our loved ones. Jesus can't be just part of our life. He has to be the center. Hate here means not to detest, but to put in second place, because God needs to be in first place. Second thing Jesus says is, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me can't be my disciple. We can't be his follower unless we're prepared to suffer out of love for him and others. There are many Christians, including some priests, who seem to behave as if the life of a disciple is supposed to be easy. As if Jesus said, pick up your pillow Take your warm, cuddly blanket and follow me. Jesus talked rather about the cross. We have to get out of our mind that we can have a type of bargain discipleship, a Christianity light, which we're somehow able to have God and all our idols too. Such a Christianity doesn't really exist. Unless we're intent on embracing the cross, eventually we'll reach our breaking point and be unfaithful to the Lord. Third thing he says is, none of us can be his disciple unless we give up all of our possessions. 
In other words, we can't be his follower if, like the rich young man, we're unwilling to give up our stuff in order to follow him. This is to prevent us from serving the golden calf. Jesus said elsewhere in the gospel, we can't serve two masters. We'll either hate one or love the other. He then gave us a clear practical application of that truth, that we can't serve both God and money. We have to make the choice. Lest we give up our love of mammon, lest we make the concrete choice not to serve it, then we can't be his faithful follower. By his statement about giving up all our possessions, he doesn't mean that we necessarily have to liquidate our bank accounts tomorrow. What he's saying is that all of our possessions need to be dedicated to him. They must all be part of our service of him and of his kingdom, because after all, he gave all of those to us in the first place. These are all what we might say preconditions that we need to be faithful to the Lord as a disciple. We need to love him most. We need to be willing to suffer with him who suffered for us. We need to treat him as the greatest treasure worth more than all possessions or kingdoms of the world. If we're not right on these things, the odds are that we'll be capable that we won't be capable of remaining faithful all the way. There's one other crucial thing that Jesus teaches us this Sunday. He says that we're called to reflect before we build a tower, before we go into battle. We, especially Americans, are people of action. We roll up our sleeves and get down to work. In the spiritual life, we often do this too. Starting from the time that we're children, we go about practices without reflection. But Jesus is calling us to pray about the type of life we must live and concretely get the resources that are required to finish the job. What are those resources? I wrote a book last year called Plan of Life, describing many of them. I'd urge you to get it on Amazon. It involves a prayerful strategy so that we might build a tower, win the war, and land safely on the eternal shore. That's what Jesus wants us to do. This Sunday, in the consequential conversation he will have with us, he will strengthen us to help us choose wisely. God bless you. Thank you, Father Landry, for our weekly treat. It's so kind of you to always join us and prepare us for Sunday. And it was such a treat to have Father Bill, my own pastor at Our Lady of Mercy Church in Maryland, such a treat to have him on with us today. He's such a joyful example um, of, of the faith, and he really brings so many people closer to our Lord, and I just feel so blessed to be part of his parish. No, I'm Maureen. Thank you for inviting him. I'm almost going to cross the Potomac. <laughs> it would be <laughs> worth it. it. It really would. Well, you take me to Mass with you next time I'm in D.C., Maureen. We'll Please. do that. Well, you've been, uh, this is, you've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, a radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, and I'm your host, Gracie Christie, joined today by Andrea Picciotti-Bayer Bayer, and Maureen Ferguson, my colleagues at the Catholic Association. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our podcast and join us next week. <laughs>